Well, good morning, church. It is always a blessing for us to be together. Again, want to welcome those of you, us, you who are joining us online. Uh, it's such a strange time still in our world where uh, though we want to be together, not all of us are able to be in one place at one time. I'm thankful uh, for the technology that helps us still feel like we're together. Uh, but like all of you, I long for the day when we really can be together face to face. Today is the second week in this new sermon series that uh, we're calling A Beginner's Guide to Church. And you know, uh, for me, as I, I think about us gradually coming more and more out of this time of, of difficulty and suffering uh, in the throes of this pandemic, I've been thinking a lot as somebody whose life revolves around church, what kind of church do I hope we will be? We have a unique opportunity here in this moment in time where we can think about the aspects of church that we cherish and who we used to be and how we used to do things. But we also have the opportunity to ask some questions about what are some things we might want to hold on to more closely? What are some things we might want to let go? That's not always easy to know the answers to those kinds of questions. But I also want to encourage each one of us to be thinking about and it's not just church. It's not just in the times that we gather together. It's also who we are as individual disciples of Jesus. Who do we want to be as members of Christ's body going forward? We have this opportunity, I think, a unique one in my lifetime, to ask those questions, to wrestle with them, to recalibrate, perhaps, who we are and who we're trying to become. And so I hope that as we continue to focus on Paul's letter uh, to that church in Corinth all those years ago, as he wrestles with what kind of community and what kind of individual members they're going to be, that we listen in new ways to these ancient words. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for this place and this time. Uh, I, I thank you for every single person who is joining us in this room or online. I, just, I thank you for this family of faith that we get to be a part of. And as we continue this time of gathering together, not only to sing, not only to pray, not only to, to fellowship, but also to gather together as your people around your word, I pray that you would help us, God, hear exactly what it is that you long for us to hear. And through the power of your Holy Spirit, not just to listen to those words, but to be changed by them. It's in the crucified name of your son we pray. Amen. So this idea of, of a beginner's guide to church, it's predicated on this idea that it doesn't matter who we are. When it comes to church, we still have more to learn. And in fact, one of the greatest dangers I think that we can face as disciples of Jesus is to assume that there's like this checklist. And, and once we've been able to check things off of that list... Well, then we'll be done. We'll, we'll, we, 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 sorry, we will have arrived. And yet, one of the things that, that I think Paul is really concerned about as he writes this letter to the Corinthians is they want to fast forward to all the good parts. They want to fast forward to the end. They want to rush past the crucifixion to the benefits of the resurrection. They don't want to go on a journey of faith. They just want to be done. They want to be there. And so throughout this, this entire letter, he's going to keep encouraging them to understand that this really is something that, that we experience every single day a little bit more. This intimacy with Jesus, this transformation of not just being close to Jesus, but through being close to Jesus, being changed by that. Right? That, that we need to have 
a confidence and, and a sense of God's grace enough to be able to confess that with all that we've learned, whoever we are, we still have a lot more to learn. With all that we've experienced, there's more to experience. With all that we've changed, with all that we, we might have matured, we, we understand that we're not there yet. And while we could interpret that message as a burden, Paul wants us to interpret that message as a gift. Because if we're really honest with ourselves, all of us, no matter how long we've been a part of church, this is our first Sunday or 60 years in, we know that there are parts of our lives and our souls that haven't been changed nearly enough. And it's okay. It's by design. Grace is supposed to give us the courage to tell that truth and not be undone by it, but to, to long for the kinds of people God still believes we can be. So last week, we kind of talked about what, what was really frustrating Paul from the very outset. is the idea that, that while these Corinthian Christians feel like they've been called out of the world into the church without knowing it, they kind of dragged the culture of the world into the church with them. And, and the, the culture of Corinth was just cutthroat and competitive, and everybody was trying to find a way to be more important, to have more power, to be more successful. And, and what Paul is concerned about is they have received the good news of Jesus. Pretty quickly, they have decided that Jesus might be the edge they need in their own culture, that Jesus might be what pushes them just past that point, right, the tipping point, to get to the place where they may have failed before, but Jesus is going to help them be victorious. They, they may not be successful, but Jesus is the, the quickest, surest way to success. They, they may not have the kind of, of recognizability and, and the sense of everybody respecting them and, and caring about what they think, but Jesus might be the one who gives them better standing. And what Paul is so, so angry about is, is that they would... Instead of understanding that Jesus came and lived and died and rose again to set them free from all of that, that they're, they're trying to use Jesus to help them win at the world's game. And if he doesn't help set them straight on this, they're never going to experience the good life God wants for them. And the people around them are never going to have a taste of that glory that's not the world's glory, it's God's glory that's given to them and through them shared with others. He says, look, you were baptized into Christ and that changes your identity, but it doesn't only change your identity, it changes your experience of the world, the way you engage with the world, the way you see each other. And if you don't lean into that transformation, if if you try to continue to be a part of church on your own terms for your own goals, not only will you wreck the church and keep it from being the kind of community God wants it to be, but you're going to sidetrack your own faith journey. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? So he continues. If you got your Bible open up to 1 Corinthians, we're still in chapter 1. We'll start reading together in verse 18. Paul says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are being destroyed, those who are suffering, those who feel like they're not winning at the world's game. But it is the power of God for those of us who are being saved, those of us who are being rescued 
from trying to play the world's game by the world's rules. It is written in scripture, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise and I'll reject the intelligence of the intelligent. So where are the wise? Where are the legal experts? Where are today's debaters? Man, I have a lot of places I could point at. Hasn't God made the wisdom of the world foolish? In God's wisdom, he determined that the world wouldn't come to know him through its wisdom. Instead, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of preaching. Preachers always love that phrase, right? Jews asked for signs and Greeks looked for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified, which is a scandal to the Jews, right? Because how could a crucified Messiah be the real Messiah? And it's foolishness to the Gentiles because how could somebody overcome the world by dying at the hands of the world? It doesn't make sense. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. This is because the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Look at your situation when you were called, brothers and sisters, by ordinary human standards, right? According to the, the game that the world is trying to play, but by ordinary human standards, not many of you were wise. Not many of you were, were powerful. Not many were from the upper class. But God chose what the world considers foolish to shame the wise. God chose what the world considers weak to shame the strong. And God chose what the world considers low class and low life, what is considered to be nothing to reduce what is considered to be something to nothing. Now, what Paul is, is trying to help them understand is that as people who've heard the good news of the gospel, they have now decided as members of the church that they, they want lives that are centered on, that are built on the message of the cross. Now, I want us to take just a few moments to do a little bit of, of a language lesson, and I promise it's just going to be a few moments because I know you probably didn't come here this morning for a, a Greek grammar lesson, but it's important. Okay, this phrase, the message of the cross. The word for message in Paul's original language is logos. Okay, the logos of the cross. Now, the Greek term logos means word or thought, argument, intelligence, or another way we might say it is logic, right? It's, it's a line of reasoning. This is the same term that's used in John chapter 1 when he says, in the beginning was the word, right? In the beginning was the logos. In the beginning was the intelligence of God, the wisdom of God. Okay, so if we take this and change it from the message of the cross to the logic of the cross, I think it's getting us a little bit closer to what Paul's trying to then lay out for all the other verses that we read this morning and really all the other verses he's ever going to write for the rest of his life. Because what he's trying to say here is that the cross when it comes to those of us who are in church, the cross isn't just something that we think about. The cross is also something that we learn how to think with. Right? The, the cross isn't something that we just see. 
It's something that we see through. Nate, I want to bring that up on the screen. So I want us to understand this because I think it's easy for us to just decide, okay, he's talking about the message of the cross. It's, it's about content, right? It's about what to think and specifically what to think about. So, you know, when I was, was growing up in church and, and I remember when I got baptized and, and then as I each week as, as a committed believer, I was taking part in communion one of the things that I almost always did was I tried to focus my mind by thinking about the cross event. I think about all the things that led up to it, what happened to Jesus, what was going on. Okay, that's, that's important because what we think about shapes us. But see, Paul's wanting to say it's even deeper and higher and better than just what we're thinking about. Jesus' self giving moment where he he gives himself it's not just like a history making event it's a world changing event that doesn't just change what we think about from time to time it changes the way we think all the time and it reveals to us how things really work when every other voice in the world tells us something different it's not just what we think about. It's how we think. It's not just what we see in our imagination. It's how we see everything and everyone around us. You have this experience. This is too important for us to rush past. Okay, because I'm convinced that what Paul's primarily doing in every single letter he ever wrote, it's not to create a ton of content that we can use as a reference guide, and that's the end of it. He's not just giving us answers. He's also showing us the work of how he gets to the answers. And he's doing that because he believes that through the power of the Holy Spirit, the church is going to face new situations that he himself never could imagine on his own. So he's not just trying to teach us what to think. He's trying to equip us how to think, how to think like a Christian, how to think like a follower of Jesus who believes that the world has lost its mind. And we are in danger every single moment of losing our minds and losing our hearts right along with the world. And Jesus wakes us up. The event, the cross event changes everything. So if you think about it, and it works right, kind of in a global way and then in a very personal way. So, you know, as somebody who, who likes, you know, American history, I think about, okay, July 4th, 1776. That's an event that happened a long time ago that, yeah, we think about and we can study it and we can read about it, but it actually changes the way we move through the world, doesn't it? This idea that... that our forefathers decided that they were going to have the courage to try to do something new and, and they were going to write this Declaration of Independence and, and they were, were going to, to try to believe that people could govern themselves outside of having a king, right? Now that's, that's historical, it's social, it's political, it's all those things, but it wouldn't be honest if we just said that July 4th, 1776 was just a historical fact that doesn't change the present, it absolutely does, right? Or if you think about January 1st, 1863, when Abraham Lincoln signs the Emancipation Proclamation, right? That changes things. That's not just 
a moment in time. It alters the future in ways that nobody in that moment could have fully anticipated. When, when I get out of kind of, you know, national history and I get to my own personal history, I think about January 30th, 1992. It was the, the date of my own baptism where I, I made a decision in that moment that I wanted to spend the rest of my life following Jesus. I didn't fully understand what I was was actually committing to. That's part of why extravagant, unconditional promises are so important for us to be able to make. We try our best to understand what we're doing, but we don't really know every single uh, conclusion and ramification and difference in our life that that decision's gonna make. I go back to that moment every single time we come around to January 30th. I don't only do that, it's every single day. I think about that moment. It happened, but it's still happening. Right? It's changing me. I think about May 18th, 2002, the, the date of my wedding. Right? Again, a moment of making extravagant, unconditional promises that I didn't fully know. I think about the dates of, of my two daughters being born. Right? You can say that stuff happened once and then it's over, but that's not how it works. And each one of those moments in my life changed my identity. It wasn't just behavior it redefined who I, I thought I was. It redefined who I thought I could be. Hey, that's what the cross is like. It happened, but it's still happening to us. It's, it's still affecting us. When you think about it from a vision standpoint, right, it's not just something we see, but we see through it. You think about, have, have you ever gone uh, to uh, a beautiful place, and maybe you've got a place that you're staying, and they've got larger windows than normal because of the view, and you get to stand there, and you get to look through that window, and because you're at a distance, you kind of pick up some details that you wouldn't otherwise see. Now, it'd be like if you went to a, a place like that, a, a vacation home or a timeshare or whatever, and the, the window hadn't been cleaned in a really long time. So you pull the curtains back, and you want to see the view, but you can't really see the view because there's all kinds of water spots and dust and maybe cobwebs in the corner. The cross is like clearing all of that out, cleaning all of that up, and suddenly we can see the world the way God wants us to see it. We can see details we've, we, maybe we've missed before, and we are at times rendered speechless because of the beauty that we're witnessing. Right? You just stand there and you look. Or, or maybe it's not only like that. Maybe it's like a pair of glasses or contacts, right? Because it's not just being able to see from a distance. It's also being able to move through the world without running into things. And, and maybe we're able to, to navigate the world then in a new way because suddenly our vision that's been impaired, it's, it's corrected. And it's all crystal clear. Maybe and this is for the younger uh, crowd in the room, maybe it's kind of like a spiritual software filter on your smartphone. Now, here's the difference. The filters on our smartphones distort the way you really look. This one undistorts. It helps us see ourselves the way God sees us. It helps us see one another the way God wants us to see well, not as competitors, but as people we want to cooperate with, people we want to work alongside of, right? The cross is something we don't just think about, we think with it. It gives us new imagination of what's possible because we believe that Jesus not only gave his life to save us, 
God saved him from death because he was willing to risk it all. And what Paul wants the Corinthians to understand is something that Jesus talked about in Luke chapter 9. Which is when he says, if you live your whole life trying to to save yourself, you're going to lose yourself. But if you risk it all for me, well then you're going to find that you're saved into real life. The cross isn't something we learn about. It's something that helps us learn. But we have to be open to that because it is so much easier if we just relegate it to a historical event that, that we benefit from. But that's never what God intended it to be. It's an invitation. Not just to be saved from our sin, but to be saved into the healing of the world. Which is what Jesus gives his life for. And it's what Jesus calls us to give our lives for. So another way of thinking about this, I guess, is that the cross teaches us God's wisdom. And shows us God's power. That's what Paul says. We preach a crucified Messiah. And we're not changing the content. Just because the world doesn't really understand what was happening there. And we don't understand it through God's help. We're going to learn how to understand what difference it it made and it still makes. And, And even though the world defines power in a certain way. God's power is the only way of really saving everyone and rescuing everything, of of truly redeeming all that's been broken and all that's been lost. This is how it works. This is how it looks. Not just to us, but through us as well. Now this this is really difficult for us because we tend to be really gifted. In fact, we're so good at at not the cross kind of logic, but the worldly kind of logic that we don't even realize when we start applying it. We don't realize when we're just thinking along those same old lines that we've always thought before. And so, so often we can turn accepting the good news of Jesus into our life into something that's pretty much a self-improvement plan that benefits us more than anybody else. That is not a big enough gospel Jesus didn't just die for you to have a slightly better life that you feel a little bit better about. Jesus died to live in you, to live through you, to help everybody around you experience God's love, a love that's stronger than every bit of darkness and suffering and sorrow and death that any of us ever have to face. God says, my love is stronger than that. My my love can carry you through that, and I'm going to give you his gifts of love to one another. That's who I want you to be. That's real power. That's real wisdom. You know, so God says, you want to live the best possible kind of life? Then stop trying to do that for yourself on your own. If you try to chase after the best possible kind of life just for you on your own, you may have plenty of money to do whatever you want to do. You may have plenty of opportunities that are pleasurable and and that you enjoy, but all of it, I promise you, it's going to be fleeting and it's going to be empty because you can't be the reason for your own life. You can't. It doesn't work. 
And, and there are so many people in our world who try their hardest to live their own lives for themselves and they get famous and they get successful and they get influential. These are all the people that the, the Corinthians wanted to be like and they thought Jesus would help them get there. And Paul says, why would you want to get there? If you get to the top of that mountain that the world tells you is so important, you're going to find out there's nothing there. And in all likelihood, there's nobody else there either. You're going to have all that you thought you ever wanted, and you're not going to have anyone or anything that really matters. We don't think about the cross. We learn to think with it. We don't just see the cross. We see through it. It changes everything. So, so last week, right? We, first week, talked about that foundational truth, number one. In church, there's no room for competition, that's not what church is about. It's not about one of us or, or some of us getting our way and forcing our way on, on, on each other or using the church as a way to be more important or more successful or just, you know, using the church as something that's all about us and not about anybody. There's no room for that kind of competition in church. There's only room for cooperation. Well, this week the foundational truth is the cross of Christ may not make sense to the world, but it helps us make sense of the world. Now, when I say that it helps us make sense of the world, I don't mean that it helps us make sense of every single thing that we see happening in the world. What I mean is it helps give, it corrects our vision so that we can see where God is present and hard at work within our world, no matter what, no matter what's happening. And and I want to be clear about this. This is not something that most of us can think about one time and figure out how we're going to apply it to our lives and then it's over and it's settled, right? Because that's this constant temptation for the Corinthian Christians. Paul, just give us the answers, tell us what we need to do, tell us what we need to accomplish and we'll do it and then we'll move on to the next thing. Paul doesn't give them any tasks that you just get to focus on once or twice and then it's over. It's over and over and again that, that we have to, <clears throat> excuse me, focus on this truth. How many times in your life do you look at our world and how things are going and you shake your head and say, I, I don't know what is happening here. I don't, I don't even know if I, I know what I'm supposed to do next. Right? That, that is a common response. God has that response to the world in the sense that he looks at it and he says, this isn't anywhere close to the world that I envisioned. This is not the world I wanted it to be. Right? That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is underneath all of that suffering and sorrow and, and misguided attempts at power and control and all of that, we come back to a man giving himself away because he loves us too much to try to live without us. And are we going to follow in his footsteps? Are we going to try to see one another the way he died and rose again to help us see? Are we going to think with the imagination that comes only on the other side of crucifixion? Or are we going to keep thinking that we know better than he does how the world really works? If you keep trying to save your life for yourself, you're going to lose it. But if you give your life away for the sake of others, then you're going to find it. That's the wisdom and the power of God. And I'll just confess to you this morning. I have never preached at a church that was declining during my ministry. And it is messing me up. I mean, I took a pandemic personally 
when it came to what it was doing to our church. Do you know how messed up that way of thinking is? You probably could tell me after church. (laughs) How messed up do I have to be in my head to think that God cares about how I feel about our church attendance? It's insane. That's what it is. It's thinking along the lines of how the world has taught me to think that church is about me and how it makes me feel. Here's the quickest way. I'm going to confess to you right now. I'm far from a perfect leader. You know that. Again, you can talk to me after church. You You know when I really make the worst mistakes? When I decide I need to save the church for Jesus. That's insane. This is not my church. This is his church. I'm not responsible for this church. I'm responsible to Jesus. And so are you. And look, I get it. If you don't realize how fragile church is right now, you're not paying attention. But the way out of this isn't through me impressing you through the foolishness of my preaching. It's about every single one of us deciding that the way we're going to save our church is not by trying to save our church. The way we're going to save our church is by saving the world with Jesus. That's it. That's the wisdom and the power of God. When churches start to focus more on perpetuating their own institutions than reaching the lost souls in the world who are broken and hurting and need to encounter the love of God, you can believe that that church is going to die faster than it could possibly imagine because that's not who we're called to be. I have more hope for this church than I've ever had before because I feel like in some ways we've gone through a crucifixion and I know the story. You know what comes after a crucifixion? It's the wisdom and the power of God. It's something he does that he calls us to be a part of. It's never something we can make happen. We don't just think about the cross, we think with it. We don't just see it, we see through it. And it helps us make sense of who we really are, who we're supposed to be, what role the church... Do you think we're going to save the world by, by deciding it's the church versus the world? Let me tell you something. The church of Jesus is always a church that's for the world. For God so loved the world. Let's give ourselves away trusting that that's where we're going to find real life. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, I just hope that you think about what are those places in your life where you're not able to see God at work and God present, and and I I want you to pray this week that he'll open the eyes of your heart, that he'll open your, your mind again to think like Christ, to think like a Christian, and to trust like one too. Let's stand together and sing.